you found a message that was delivered at Living Streams Community Church in McCordsville, Indiana. We are praying the time you invest hearing God's Word encourages you in your walk with Jesus and inspires you to share Him with others. If you want to learn more about us or send us a prayer request, visit our website, livingstreamscc.org. Thank you for listening. Take your Bibles and turn to Proverbs chapter 3. We're going to work our way through verses 1 to 18 there. We're in a series called Wisdom Chasers, going through the book of Proverbs. Um, and uh, it's, it's been, I've really enjoyed it so far. You know, I, I hope, hope you guys have, have too. Uh, today, this Proverbs 3, 1 to 18, we're going to work on getting wisdom right. Etymology. You know, you can get a degree in etymology. I don't know what job you will get, but you can get a degree in that. Etymology is the study of words and their meanings and how those meanings have changed over time. So etymology is described as the map of the wheel ruts of the modern English language. So for instance, uh, back in 1731, which is when the word cute was put out there, cute, uh, it meant back then clever or shrewd. And now it kind of describes a youthful prettiness. A bully, that dates back to 1731 when it meant sweetheart. She's my bully. <laughs> now, now it's something different, right? It describes, it describes somebody cruel to people who are weaker. Dapper dates back to the 1400s. When it, it meant, um, back then it meant brave, and now it's more about your style, right? Being dapper. So as we say around our home school, words have meaning, and it's kind of interesting when you look back on the meaning of the words that we use today and how they've changed over the years. Well, wisdom means having knowledge, learning, or experience, and the roots of that go back to the Old English. Um, and, and it meant back then, it meant having knowledge, learning, or experience. So, not very interesting etymology when you look at the English word wisdom. But you know what? Solomon wasn't writing in English. He was writing in Hebrew. And the Hebrew etymology of, of this word is a lot more interesting. The Hebrew word for wisdom is chukmah. Can you say that? Chukmah. Yeah, that's wisdom in the Hebrew. It just sounds like, yeah, I want some of that. Now, the root word for chukmah uh, meant separating water with heat. All right, and so there's some other words that come from that root word. Um, and those words are skin bag, milk, cheese, to sour, to shake, uh, heat. So all those things. And all those things have something to do with wisdom. Can you figure out what it, what, what it is? Well, I'm going to tell you. So here's the connection. So soured milk was placed in a skin bag and it was hung out in the hot sun and shaken. And the natural enzymes in the skin bag would separate the water from the milk to make the delicacy cheese. So you catching on? You are? <laughs> and he said, what does this have to do with wisdom, right? Well, just like making, in making cheese, you have to separate the water from the milk to get to the delicacy cheese with the heat, help with the heat. To get to the delicacy of a good life, you have to separate the good from the bad with the help of wisdom. Now, who would have thunk of that? Somebody 
wise. Somebody wise. So the bare bones definition of wisdom is pretty straightforward. But when you start to put flesh on the bones, uh, it gets a little more interesting. And we're going to seek to get wisdom right here in Proverbs 3, 1 to 18. Just going to read the whole shooting match here to get started, right? My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. For length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. So you'll find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all of your ways acknowledge Him and He will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce, then your barns will be filled with plenty, and your vats will be bursting with wine. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline, or be weary of his reproof. For the Lord reproves him who he loves, as a father the son in whom he delights. Blessed is the one who finds wisdom, and the one who gets understanding. For the gain for her is better than gain from silver, and her profit better than gold. She is more precious than jewels, and nothing you desire can compare with her. Long life is in her right hand. In her left hand are riches and honor. Her ways are, her ways are ways of pleasantness, and all her paths are peace. She is a tree of life to those who lay hold of her. Those who hold her fast are called blessed. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you today and we're so thankful for this good word that you've given to us um, to know about wisdom, to know how it fleshes out in our life today. And as we uh, work our way through your words to us, your children, pray that our hearts would be open uh, to hearing uh, about you, about your wisdom, about how we walk in that every day. We thank you for your Holy Spirit who is able to take all that we do today and make it useful for your kingdom, for your glory. We lean into him now and ask for his help as we soak our hearts here. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So in verses 1 to 4, Solomon, he begins there with this plea to his son. And it's going to tell us that wisdom means perseverance. So he says, don't forget my teaching. Uh, Obey uh, my commands from your heart. Uh, Hang on to love and loyalty like your life depended on it. Tie them around your neck. Um, Carve them on your heart. It says, if you persevere in what I'm teaching you, they will help you have a long and happy life. And knowing the favor of success in God's sight and in man's. So it's a don't forget. It's a, it's a keep on going. It's a no, don't give up. Don't quit. If you don't quit, you'll be glad that you did. So this chase for wisdom, it, it isn't gonna, it isn't gonna end at a destination. Okay, we're not gonna wake up one day and go, ha, I'm wise. I've made it. You know, this is a whole lifelong journey. It's something we're gonna be, be pursuing our whole life. A lifelong journey of learning, of growing, of separating good from bad with good judgment and wise decisions. Or, or not. Um, so now only, you only need this encouragement um, to persevere if persevering is difficult. 
so that tells us that this chase that we're on for wisdom to pursue God, it's not going to be an easy thing. So according to Solomon, there's some benefits that we're gonna, we're gonna have along the way, uh, but to keep on going, uh, to, to get all the way home, to grow in wisdom, it is going to take some stick-to-itiveness. I wondered if that was just a Disney word, but I think it's a real word, you know, stick-to-itiveness. So what is it that makes the chase difficult? Why, why this perseverance? What is it? Well, I thought one thing is distractions. You know, there, there's distractions that we run into, and that's a big problem in the chase. It happens when we get our eyes off the prize and, and, and start looking at another prize, and we get confused about what we're chasing in our life. So when we, we stop chasing God and his wisdom, we're, we're off now. We're off track. And so we get distracted by other, other chases. And then there's also alternatives. Alternatives to God's wisdom. And we, we start seeking wisdom outside of God. Remember a couple weeks ago, I gave you the fortune cookie to take home and, you know, just have so you can see it and be reminded this is the world's wisdom. This is all the different things you could put in packaging in the, in, into that cookie and, and put it on a shelf and say, here it is, but here's God's wisdom. And so what, what happens is the world and the fortune cookie, they can offer you quick and easy fixes for your problems. You know, you can run to the internet and get an answer for your problem and get it fixed right away. But God doesn't work that way. And so when we get his wisdom and we start down his path and it doesn't look good and it doesn't feel good, um, then we're going to be tempted with all of these other alternatives that say, I got the answer for you. So Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, is a key perseverance verse in the Bible. It says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, for the joy... Set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. So Jesus, he didn't get distracted from the work that his father gave him to do. He, he got it all the way done. And how did he do that? He set his sights on the joy that was set before him after, after enduring that horrific cross. There was joy. And so where is he now? He is experiencing that joy right now at the right hand of of the Father because that's what perseverance gets you when you run the race that is marked out for you. Jesus didn't try out any alternatives to God's wisdom. Remember when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane? He said, Father, if there's another way, if there's another way, can we do that? But he ended up submitting to wisdom's way. And that took him all the way to that cross and where he died and his blood ran red there at the cross and provide forgiveness for our sins so that we could know God. So he is the way because he followed wisdom's way. And that's just a huge help for us when we're trying to persevere, when we're trying to keep going, is to just fix our eyes on Jesus. So when, when we forget what we're chasing, we just look to Jesus and what he did. When we start looking around and say, you know what, God's way doesn't, it doesn't look right, it doesn't feel right, we look to Jesus and see what he endured. And that encourages us, because wisdom means perseverance. Wisdom also means trust. All right, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Last week when you came in, I had, had the uh, 3 by 5 cards on your seats. This is a, a verse that you should write down on the 3 by 5 cards. as wisdom habit number 2 to carry around with you. Uh, trust in the Lord with all of your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all of your ways, acknowledge Him and He will make your path straight. 
So write that down. Uh, if you don't have it already, <laughs> write it down. It's, it's huge for our life with God. You know, this week I, I read about um, a report that a company does called the Trust Barometer. Anybody ever heard of the Trust Barometer? It's a company called Edelman. They're a global communications marketing firm, and they publish the Trust Barometer report every year. So in 2018, the uh, barometer showed that the overall trust in the United States had its largest ever recorded drop in the survey's history. So last year, it just, it just bottomed out among the general population. And so it fell like nine points to 43%. And that, that in the survey, there's like 28 countries in the survey, so that put us in the lower quarter of, of all those countries as far as trust goes you know, that is being practiced. And then they point, they're pointing to, uh, you, you might be able to guess where people are lacking trust, but they, they, they had this staggering um, uh, fall of uh, faith in government. Uh, 14 points down to 33%. So there's still a third of the people that are trusting government. Um, also, there's big declines uh, between tw- 10 and 20 points with institutions, the business, media, and even nonprofit organizations. So this overall thing has, has dropped. Our trust has dropped. So in America, nobody's trusting these days. And, you know, they're not trusting. It's not considered wise to trust in the government. It's not considered wise to trust in businesses. Not considered wise to trust fake news. Just, right? <laughs> but here's the thing. For us as believers, trust is the foundation of our life. But not trust in, in man-made corporations or fake news or, you know, the thing, the government. Not, not, we're not called to trust there. We're called to trust the Lord. Trust the Lord. Now, here's the thing. There's plenty of people who would tell you it is better to trust in the government than to trust in a God that you cannot see, hear, or touch. There's way more people that would tell you that. Even people that don't trust the government. They say, how can you believe in a God you can't see? How can you practice? How can you put into practice? How can you make your lives about words from a dusty old book that was written hundreds and hundreds of years ago by who knows who from a different, totally different cultural perspective about fascinating, fascinating stories that belong in fantasy literature like worldwide floods and blind people getting sight and dead people coming out of the grave. How can you believe that? Foolishness. Stupidity. Most people are going to say that to you. We're in a, a minority. If we believe that the Bible is God's Word, that it was written by God, that it is historically accurate, that it was written by who it says it's written by over 14, 1,500 years, and it's, it's all about the same thing, about the redemption of mankind through the Son of the living God, Jesus Christ. If you believe that, you got a, you got a label. You're called a naive realist. And that's from the nice people in the church. They call you that. I don't even want to think what they call us outside the church. Fools! But here's, here's the funny thing. When they say, how can you believe that? What do we say? How can you not believe it? I mean, just look around. Look around. There is, there is abundance of evidence that the Creator has given us of His existence through creation. An abundance of evidence. I mean, it is a lot harder to believe that we came from a big bang that started an evolutionary process that is increasingly complex 
And that's where we came from. It's a lot harder to believe that than what the Bible says, that you know what? God created each one of us in seven days. And, and he created all this other stuff. I mean, I find that a lot easier to believe than this evolutionary thing that they call science. It, you know what? Here's the thing. Both of those things take faith. Both of them. So which one are you going to believe? And I say, look to creation. God has already given us the evidence of Him. And it's not just for believers, it's for anybody who can see creation. If you look through a microscope, you will see evidence of God. Here's a picture of a butterfly wing under a microscope. I mean, that looks pretty cool. That doesn't look like a bunch of mishmash. There's art there. I mean, that, we could hang that on our wall. Couldn't we have art? I wonder what that would sell for at an auction. That's on the butterfly wings flying around right now. Here's another one. Here's a picture of our DNA. I mean, that looks like a ruler got out and hammer and nails and put that thing together. Somebody put that together. Right? How could you, how could you not believe that? Yeah, and so if you, and that's looking small. What if we, what if we go big? Check this picture out. Okay, now, to really get wowed by that, you have to drive down that road. <laughs> But that's incredible. I mean, when you, when you stand in the shadow of a mountain, it's just awe and wonder. And you can go bigger than that. Go bigger than that. And now we really don't have good perspective. Because we're just a pinpoint on that. That's somewhere out there. It's amazing. So we can go small and look at creation. Or we can go big. And what, what do we see? We see order. We see integrity. We see design. We see beauty. It is magnificent. Small or big, it is magnificent. Why? Because we have a magnificent creator. Now this is called general revelation. Okay, That's what they call it in systematic theology class. General revelation is the evidence God has given us that He is there, that He exists, and what He is like. And it's available to everyone in the world who's ever lived and looked up at the sky. And so no one will have an excuse that they didn't believe in God. It is wisdom to trust in what God has provided that He is there. But it it goes beyond that. There's more than knowing that He is there. I mean, this verse says we're to trust the Lord with all our hearts. I mean, we're putting our lives in His hands. You know, we're getting, we're getting everything there. And this is only going to happen when you get special revelation. Okay? So special revelation is when God reveals Himself in a miraculous way. So if you look in the Bible, you can read about that pillar of cloud by day and the fire by night that was given to the Israelites to know not only that God is there, but God is with them. And what did they do? They followed that cloud and that pillar of fire. They trusted God. So that's what special revelation is. Joseph getting the dream about Mary and the baby Jesus, that was special revelation. This book right here is special revelation. God's word to us about Him, how to know Him, how to follow Him, how, how to worship Him. The greatest special revelation that has ever existed is Jesus Himself. When we look at Jesus, we see God. We see the exact imprint of His nature. He was the God-man. He was the incarnation. Fully God, fully man. Full of grace, full of truth. The greatest expression 
a special revelation. And he said this. Jesus said this. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except by me. Jesus said that. Now, some hearts, they hear that from Jesus. And they read the Bible. And they see creation. And they take a flying leap. They take a flying leap into their father's outstretched arms. A trust leap. And they put their whole lives there. And some hearts hold back. And they don't trust it. They don't think it's real. They don't think it's trustworthy. Wisdom means trusting God. Believing in Jesus Christ, His only Son. Who came and he lived that perfect life. He died that horrible death to give us life. To give us forgiveness and a life with his heavenly father for eternity. Wisdom is trusting that. Now the verses, they go on from there. They go on from there to where we do this trusting. See, this this kind of trust isn't for a part of our lives. Alright, it's not a Sunday only trust. It, It says... In all of your ways, acknowledge Him. So this is a, a Sunday to Saturday, all of your ways, we're trusting in Jesus God. So your, your family ways, your marriage ways, your money ways, your fun ways, your healthy ways, your education, your art, your politics, you name it, if it's a way, We're called to trust our Lord with it. And he will lead us in right paths. In all of those ways. Now sometimes those ways, they don't look right to us. They don't look like they're going to work. They don't don't look like they're going to be good for us. They don't feel like they're going to be good for us. But the verses go on. Be not wise in your own eyes. Be not wise in your own eyes. Don't trust in your own understanding. Uh, When the Lord is telling you which way to go, and it doesn't feel right, doesn't look right, doesn't look good, like it's going to be good, trust in Him, not in your own eyes, not in your own wisdom. So He says, turn from evil. It will bring healing to your body when you do that. You know, just this last month, uh, there was a pastor, his name is Joshua Harris, and he uh, deconstructed from his Christian faith. And so what that means is he has left the church that he was pastoring. Uh, it's a big church, like 3,000 people. And he, uh, in, in his case, also left Jesus. And so he, he has done this. Now, the reason I'm bringing this up, he's just not some ordinary pastor. Joshua Harris has had a big influence on the church, on the evangelical church. He wrote a book years ago called I Kiss Dating Goodbye. And it, it was a book about... Um, how sing, the single single people could trust God with the relationships they have with the opposite sex, and it gave it gave a different view of how kind of to do single life, and how to trust God for you know getting married and stuff like that. And uh, we have benefited in, in our house from this book. 
Um, and but others others have read that book and then they took it someplace else and it created this purity culture that actually caused some harm apparently and so um, a couple months ago I think Joshua Harris he came out and he apologized for the damage that his book caused and we were all kind of scratching our heads about that and, you know I guess you know I guess it, it's, it's out there but then just a few weeks ago he came out on social media and he announced he was divorcing his wife and leaving leaving the faith. And then just, I think, last week or just a few days ago, there was a picture of him at a gay pride event in Canada. And now, as far as I know, Joshua Harris hasn't come out as a homosexual, as far as I know, but he has he's seemingly lost his faith in the God he grew up trusting, and he's turning away from his ways and following man's ways on how to do life. And that is exactly what he's doing. And I'll tell you, many, many people today are trusting their feelings over their faith. And they're leaving the ways that God has given us to live. And they're going their own way, following their own wisdom. They're in the whole area of how to do love and sex and relationships. It doesn't feel right God's way in many instances. And so we're doing it another way. Because this can't be right. Well, I, I'm, I'm here to say God's ways are not the easiest ways. They're not the easiest ways. Especially when you're talking about something as, in, as intrinsic to you as who you're attracted to. You know, as it feels like that it's always been there or whatever. But I'll tell you this, God's ways are not unclear. And they are not unloving. And so in this world we live today... Wisdom is going to keep on trusting in what God has said. Wisdom is going to keep on going with God, believing that He has, He has the, the best wisdom we can imagine. And that what He said for us, how to do life, is the best for us, even if it doesn't feel like it. So wisdom perseveres. Wisdom trusts. In verses 9 and 10, we get some, some insight on what it means to trust God with our money. And it tells us that wisdom means worship. Wisdom means worship. So when, when we think of worship, uh, we think, I think normally about this time right here. You know, when we get together as the church and we sing praises to God, and, you know, and that's okay. But you know what, this is, this is really just punctuation. It's punctuation on the sentence of worship that you wrote with your life this last week and the week to come. So you're here, you're going to put a capital letter on the sentence of, of worship that you're going to live to, to, you know, it's reverence, it's all, it's respect. And we're communicating that to God. And then we go and we live out this week in a lifestyle of worship. And then we come back and we're going to put a period of gratitude and an exclamation mark of praise. That, I know that that's not punctuation. It doesn't work in the English, but you know, in worship language it works. We put a period and we put an exclamation point at the end of our, our worship sentence. So during the week when we live for God, when we sacrifice, when we do things for Him that maybe we wouldn't want to do because He said it, when we say, you're, my, you're God, I'm not God, I'm going to say yes to you, no to me, when we do that, that is worship. That is denying ourselves, picking up our cross, and following now, when it comes to money, money can be a, a huge competitor in our lives for our love. And it's, just, it's, it's huge. You know, last, this, this last week I read this article from uh, Pastor David Platt. And it spoke about our spending habits. And, and, it, and how that really tells us where our heart is. 
And I, I shared it on Facebook. I'm not sharing a lot on Facebook, but normally I can get, you know, a pretty good number of likes if you're counting. But I only got two likes on that one. And one of those guys was in India. <laughs> so God, he's given us instructions here. Jesus said to us, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And so these instructions are about how to manage our money and, and, and the warnings about how money can influence, influence our hearts. So Solomon's right here. He's telling his son where to start. This is a starting place. Honor the Lord with your wealth in the first parts of your fruit. You could also read that. Worship the Lord with your wealth as the, in the best parts of what you have. So how do you worship the Lord with your wealth? Give it to him. How much do you give to him? Well, the Bible's got some instructions there. And we go back to Genesis chapter 14. And there, Abraham, he honors Melchizedek with a tenth of the spoils of a battle that he had won. And so Melchizedek is a type of Christ. He's a picture of Christ in the Bible. And so we go back to that and we look at that kind of honoring with wealth. And we say, that's the starting point. I mean, that's before all the law to the Israelites, but that comes later. God said to the Israelites, hey, you give a tenth of your first fruits out of your fields to help support the work in the temple. Those priests are not going to be able to go out and do the farming. They're doing the work of the temple, so support them with a tenth of your, of your produce. So that, that was another part. And there's a bunch more uh, kind of tithes that they were commanded to give. Malachi chapter 3, verse 10 says, Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. And test him. God says, test me in this to see if he doesn't return the blessing to overflowing. Which kind of said, it's the same thing as he's saying here in Proverbs 3, 9 and 10. You know, honor the Lord with your wealth and you'll have what you need. So I believe this is how we start to honor the Lord with our wealth. We give him a tithe of our gross income every month. A 10% tithe of our gross income. And you say, well, I don't get the gross income. I only get the net income. And I say, what do you want God to bless? The net or the gross? Yeah. So, that's not me. That's years ago I heard that. I never have forgotten it. So we do it at the beginning of the month. That's the first fruits. And then what we do is we cling to the promises of God to be, to be our provider. And we work on being a good steward of what he's already uh, provided. Now, some people say that, you know what, that tithe thing, that's an Old Testament law. You can't find the tithe in the New Testament anywhere. And I'm, a new, I'm under a New Covenant, New Testament. And I say, okay, all right. Well, my question to you then is this. Do you think an Old Testament giver should give more than a New Testament giver? And if you think about what an Old Testament person was doing, they were trying to be right with God through the law. And they couldn't do it. They couldn't, they couldn't you know, fulfill the law. And so they were working on their own righteousness to be accepted by God. We have been accepted by God because of the love that ran red at the cross from His Son. Who gave his life for us. So what kind of offering should we give to the Lord to honor that sacrifice? Which one should be greater? And so I think that's a very fair comparison. See, Jesus, when he came, he said, I'm not coming to abolish the law, I'm coming to fulfill it. And so there's parts of that Old Testament law that are helpful to show us how to live a life that is, that is worthy of the calling that we have received. A life of worship. And that 10% tithe is a starting point for our giving, to know how to worship God with our wealth. Now, from there, we go to the New Testament, and we get something from Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 7. It says there, But since you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, 
and in, in the love we have kindled in you, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. So the Old Testament says, start here. The New Testament says, grow from there. Grow from there. And the reason that's important for us is that it keeps us be, from becoming lawgivers. Okay? A lawgiver says, I'm going to give what's required of me, but I'm not going to give any more. I'm good with God. Check it off the list this month. But see, the New Testament pushes us to being a love giver. And we think about what was given for us. And we think, how can I give more? How can I be a generous giver? How can I be a cheerful giver? God, you own it all. I want to live for you. How do I worship you with my wealth? So the floor of our giving is the 10%. And we go from there. It's amazing. Now this is just one area of our lives where wisdom means worship. It's just, it's just one area. I, I, I do say it is a big area. This morning, I encourage you to take his word to heart, even to test him in this and see, you know, if he will not do what he says he will do. You know, I don't know if you've ever had the experience of writing a check and putting it in the offering box and knowing that you don't have, you don't have enough to get to the end of the month. I have been there. I have done that. And it was red on my paper and it was black on the, you know, the talking about the bottom line. Black is good. Red is bad. <clears throat> Sorry, the accounting thing coming up. <clears throat> so if you, you, you test him in this, that's how you test him. But here's what happens when you write that check and you know you're going to run short. There's pain that comes. And it's the pain of bringing a budget to your life. If you're in financial peace, I know you're going to be talking to budgets soon. A budget is painful. But if you follow the budget, after you give, follow the budget. You'll say no. I promise you, you will know the Lord is your provider at the end of the month. And as you keep going doing that, you will understand that wisdom means worship. Now, speaking of pain, that's where Solomon goes next. Wisdom means discipline. Wisdom means discipline. He says to his boy, don't get mad at God when he corrects you. He's just showing you his love that way. He's talking about God's, God's discipline. Now, the writer of Hebrews, if we keep going in chapter 12, he talks a lot about God's discipline there. So I just want to read a big chunk of it to you. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 4 to 13. It says, After all, you have not yet given your lives in your struggle against sin. And have you forgotten the encouraging words God spoke to you as his children? He said, My, my child, don't make light of the Lord's discipline and don't give up when he corrects you. For the Lord disciplines those he loves and he punishes each one. He accepts as his child. As you endure this divine discipline, remember that God is treating you as his own children. Who ever heard of a child who is never disciplined by its father? If God doesn't discipline you as he does all of his children, it means that you are illegitimate and are not really his children at all. Since we respected our earthly fathers who disciplined us, shouldn't we submit even more to the discipline of the father of our spirits and live forever? For our earthly fathers disciplined us for a few years, doing the best they knew how. But God's discipline is always good for us, so that we might share in His holiness. No discipline is enjoyable while it is happening. It's painful. But afterward, there will be a peaceful harvest of right living for those who are trained in this way. 
So take a new grip with your tired hands and strengthen your weak knees. Mark out a straight path for your feet so that those who are weak and lame will not fall but become strong. You know, I I was thinking, I cannot think of one time that I enjoyed the discipline that my dad gave me. And maybe I blocked it out, but, you know, not one time. And I enjoyed it even less when my mother gave it to me. You know, but, but the thing is, it all meant something. It was their love to me, training me to grow me up into a better person. Like the, uh, like the time when my brother and I were throwing rocks at my grandpa's shop. And my grandpa's shop is a huge thing, can drive a semi into it. And so we were throwing rocks up there, and there's these huge garage doors, you know. And uh, they got these huge windows. And we broke, we broke a few of the windows. Now, you don't want to break my grandpa's shop windows. I mean, you just don't want to do that. So when my grandpa came and started asking me about that, I said, I don't know what happened, grandpa. Probably a truck kicked a rock up there and broke it. Now, he, he had none of it, you know, he had none of it. But he, he wasn't letting on. So anyway, the investigation continued. And the truth finally came out. And when the truth came out, my mom, she made me go and fess up to my grandpa, which was worse than any spanking that I could have ever, ever received. It was, it was a painful lesson in honesty. And I still remember it, that pain, to this day. And it is still producing a peaceful harvest of right living in my life. See, God does the same thing. He does the same thing. His love for us is training us to shape us, to mold us into somebody else, into somebody that looks like, you know, his son. That's what his love does. And we think of God's discipline as, you know, he's getting angry with us. He's punishing us for something we did in the past. But listen, punishment, it's more about the past. Discipline is about the future. So if you look to the book of Jonah, it's a great book about God's discipline. There's a lot of lessons in there, but, you know, there's a a bunch of it is is about God's discipline. Remember this story. Jonah, he's given the mission to go to Nineveh to tell them, hey, turn from your wicked ways or God's going to destroy you. Jonah didn't want to do that. So he jumps on a ship to Tarshish going the opposite direction. God says, ha, you're not getting away from me. He sends a storm. That storm's bad enough that the sailors are like, hey, what's going on? We're going to sink. We got to do something. Pray to any God you know, telling Jonah that. And Jonah's like, hey, it's my fault. Uh, throw me into the sea. They're like, oh, we can't do that. You know, uh, pagans are a better, better person than Jonah. And so, you know, they're, they're like, you know, battling, they're battling the wind and the waves and they finally give up and they throw Jonah into the sea. Now Jonah's thinking, I'm dead. I'm, I'm, I've committed suicide here. No, no, no. God says, you're not getting away that easy. And a fish comes, he swallows him up, takes him down to the bottom of the ocean. He's there for three days and three nights. Why? Because that's how long it took for Jonah to repent. He repented down there in the belly of the fish in the darkness. Also gave a nice picture of G- for Jesus in the grave coming back to life. So as soon as he repented, uh, the, God says to the fish, hey, spit him out on the beach. He spits him out on the beach and he goes to Nineveh. He goes to Nineveh. He tells him, hey, repent of your wicked ways uh, or God's going to destroy you. People in Nineveh, they receive this message. They hear it, they receive it, and they repent. Jonah rejoices. No, he doesn't. He gets mad. He gets mad. And he walks out of the city and he's like, see... I knew you were going to do that, God. I know you're compassionate. I know you're slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. And now you've made me out to be a liar. 
That's Jonah's heart. So God sits him, you know, he goes outside the city, he sits down, he's disgruntled. God causes a plant to grow over his head. Shade him from the sun. He's like, oh, gee, thanks. Thanks for the shade. But then he brings a worm to the plant, starts eating on the plant. Next morning wakes up, the plant's dead. So, and that's kind of where the, the book ends there. Great examples of God's discipline in there. The storm was God's discipline. The fish was God's discipline. The plant and the worm was God's discipline. It was all about getting Jonah's stubborn heart to kneel to his God and then to go do what he wanted him to do. It wasn't about what Jonah had done in the past. It was what Jonah needed to do in the future. Now, we don't know what happened to Jonah. We don't know if he, you know, his heart was changed. We don't know how he kept going there. But if we look at that, we can, we can understand that God's discipline can take many, many forms. People can be God's discipline in your life. Is there somebody in your life that's causing you pain? You know, you're just having a hard time with them. They've hurt you or whatever. Do not despise the Lord's discipline. Are there circumstances in your life that are causing pain, causing struggle? You know, just because we live in the fallen world, God's going to use that to change you. Do not despise the Lord's discipline. Consequences from our sin. You know, when we sin, God forgives us of our sin. He wipes it away, removes it from us as far as the east is from the west. But there's consequences that he doesn't wipe away. And he uses those consequences to teach us, to mold us and to shape us. Do not despise the Lord's discipline. God can use and he will use any trial, any trouble, any difficulty in your life to shape you, to mold you, to get you to become more like his son. Now, if we go back to Proverbs chapter 3 in Solomon, and when he starts this, this verse, he goes back to an address to his son. He repeats it. He says, my son, my son, do not despise the Lord's discipline. He's appealing to his relationship. This is painful stuff we're talking about here. And if you look at this in that chapter, uh, Hebrews 12, he's quoting that verse. And so he sees that relationship too, except he says it a little different way to the people who are reading Hebrews. He says, have you forgotten the encouraging words God spoke to you as his children? He's talking about the verses in Proverbs. So Solomon's words to his son are really God's words to his children. The pain that comes our way through whatever means necessary is coming to us wrapped in an incredible package of love and wisdom greater love greater wisdom than we can ever imagine that's how it's coming to us so instead of us fighting against all this stuff we need to want we want to submit to it we want to cooperate we want to say god what do you want to teach me what do you want me to do you know don't fight it work with it in james chapter one verses two to four it says there count it all joy my brothers, when you face trials of many kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, so that you will be not lacking anything. That is a bad quote of that verse, but wisdom means discipline. And then if we're going to get wisdom right this morning, we can't ignore that wisdom means blessing. Wisdom means blessing. So Solomon goes on this litany of blessings uh, that we can experience by chasing God and his wisdom. He starts off with just finding wisdom. Just finding wisdom is a blessing. And then he says profit from wisdom is better than any kind of financial windfall that you could have. Uh, it's, it's better than anything you could ever want, finding wisdom. Wisdom brings long life and it brings financial security. 
Wisdom says, uh, wisdom, wisdom's ways are pleasant and they are peaceful. She's like a tree of life with all kinds of blessings in her. And if we grab her, if we grab onto her, if we climb her trunk and rest in her branches, we are going to be known as people that are blessed. A lot of blessing going on there. See, the, the thing is, when wisdom comes into your life, wisdom is going to work in your life. It is going to work. So if you persevere in the chase, if you trust God in what He says, if you live out that trust in all of your ways, if you learn from the pain of discipline, wisdom will come your way and wisdom will bring along with it blessing. So our chase, you know, in this life, you know, I think this, it's a fallen world. It's, it's a difficult life. But it's not all just grin and bear it until we get to heaven. It's not. There's some wonderful experiences ahead of us. If we'll just keep going. You know, like the ice cream social. It's going to be a wonderful experience. You better be here. Wisdom is a producer, not a consumer. Wisdom is a conduit of grace and a creator of grace. Wisdom leads to more, not less. Now, the trick is in our country is to stay focused on the chase for wisdom and not the chase for the blessings of wisdom. That's a key thing for us to remember, especially in our country. Because once we start chasing the blessings of wisdom, we're off trail. We've lost our way, and the blessings that we do find aren't going to be blessings at all. And it's an easy thing to do. You can go turn the TV on and hear a message that says exactly the opposite today. So there's an easy way to know if you're chasing wisdom or you're chasing the blessings of wisdom. There's an easy way to know. And that is, are we grateful? Are we grateful? For the blessings that God has given us in our life. See, wisdom knows where it comes from. Wisdom knows that having the blessing is nothing compared to having the blessor. And so are we always wanting more blessing? Or are we content having the blesser? And so I think to answer that question, look at your prayer list. Look at your prayer life. And in your prayer life, if you're finding more asking than thanking... Maybe there's a heart adjustment in there that you need to make to get wisdom. Because wisdom means blessing, and we want to chase the blesser to get it. I have Shane come back up, and we're kind of going to just end there uh, with our hearts just thanking God uh, for the blessings that he has, um, that he has given us. In our life, but just kind of go back through all those things that wisdom means. You know, wisdom means perseverance. Is there is there something today in your life that you know you're just thinking I can't do it another day? You know, I just encourage you to trust the Lord with that. Tell Him that you're weak. Ask Him for His strength to keep going one more day. You don't have to do the rest of your life. You just have to do today. What about the next one? Trusting the Lord. Is there an area of your life that doesn't feel right to trust God there? It doesn't look good for you. You know, keep taking your eyes off your circumstances and put them back on the, on the one that gives us, the, gives us the commands, gives us the way. Keep putting your eyes on your trust in who He is and that will help you take the next step in the right direction. Wisdom means perseverance. Wisdom means trust. Wisdom means worship. 
Is, maybe the money area is, is, the, is an area that you need to start trusting God with today. If it is, the offering box is back there. Go home, give something online. I don't care, but do it today. Don't wait till tomorrow. If he's speaking to you about that today, test him in it. And see if he isn't the God he says he is. Is there pain? Pain in your life. What is God doing in, in your life with that pain? Ask him. Ask him to show you. Ask him to teach you. And the blessings. The blessings of wisdom. Long and happy life. Financial security. Pleasant ways. Peaceful ways. We have anything we could thank the Lord with today for? Let's let's go to the Lord in prayer. Listen to these words from Psalm 103. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless His holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Forget not all His benefits, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with the good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. Lord, we thank you today. We thank you for life. We thank you for faith. We thank you for strength, for family, for spouses, for jobs. We thank you for cars that work and for cars that don't work. We thank you, Lord. We thank you for health, the heart that's beating. We thank you for a mind that can hear your word. We thank you for hands that can go and serve you. For feet that become beautiful when we speak Jesus' name to this world. We thank you for light in our darkness. We thank you for hope and our despair. We thank you, Lord, for direction in our confusion. We thank you for wisdom in our foolishness. Thank you, O great God. Thank you for all you pour out on us. And most of all, thank you for Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who endured that cross for me. 
thank you for him, for his life, for his love, for his sacrifice, for his power, for his faithfulness. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray.